you have the power with your words to build a mother up or to tear her down completely. And I think that's kind of the message I want to make sure your listeners hear is that we each have the power to, in our words and in our actions, build up new moms or tear them down. Hello and welcome to Healing Trauma Mamas. I'm your host, Madon Wingo. Thank you for joining us as we share in our stories and experiences of healing from childhood traumas and birth traumas. Listen as we discuss our struggles, our failures, our strengths and our victories, and all those lessons we've learned along the way. Hello, Healing Trauma Mamas listeners. Well, my special guest today is Haley. Haley, do you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. I'm Haley Frazier and I live in Abilene. I am a mom to four boys, ages eight, five, almost four, and almost two. Um, I have a husband, and my background professionally is in school psychology, and I've been doing that for about 12 years. And I also just opened my own independent psychology clinic in Abilene. Yeah, super excited. I got to come in and see the place. That's actually how we got to meet is that you were offering a basically a birth story night. And I love the concept, love the idea of women getting together and discussing their birth stories. And we've talked a lot on the podcast about just every time somebody's able to share their story, we get to learn and grow from that experience. And most of the time, it's also healing for the person sharing. And so I just think that's a wonderful needed um, resource for women. And I know you provide so much more than that, but I would love to know kind of what happened, how you got into this work. Did you already always start out um, thinking you would do this type of work or did you have life experiences that caused you to head that direction? Yeah, so absolutely not. I did not think that I would be uh, pursuing work with um, like the postpartum population or pregnant population at all. Um, Like I said, my background is in school psychology, and that's very, very much like with little kids and, um, you know, grade school. And that's that was kind of my jam until I uh, I was kind of a birth nerd, I guess you could say, (laughs) leading up to the birth of my first. Uh, maybe you can identify with being a birth nerd. <laughs> um, I read all the things. I uh, watched all the documentaries and um, was just very, what I thought was informed about uh, potential issues that could arise, um, pain management, all the things before um, my pregnancy and birth. And uh, so I guess yeah, I really did not see myself going into this profession therapy wise, you know, until, uh, well after, um, my traumatic birth with my first, um, I wasn't in a place to help anyone, even myself for a long time, but, um, you know, let's kind of go back to that if you don't mind. Sure. Let's yeah. um let's kind of go backwards and and kind of get back to this point. But how did things start out for you? So your first birth, um, how did that go? Um, I guess even going back to the pregnancy, I was just incredibly anxious in the whole pregnancy. It took us a while to conceive, 
and I say a while, probably like nine months, but when you, when you want to be pregnant and you're not, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a long time. Um, and so I was just so anxious about something happening to the baby. Um, am I doing everything right? Um, I think a lot of that is some pretty normal first time mom feelings, but it was pretty extreme. Um, to the point where, um, yeah, I think I, I needed somebody to talk to and I, and I, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so leading up to the, I had decided to, um, see a midwife and have a home birth and was, um, there, there were just not as many options back then as there are now. And so it was pretty much this one midwife or a hospital. And that was basically my choices. Um, and I, I didn't click with this midwife, like really well, I would say, but I was like, but you know, I'm young and I'm healthy and my baby is healthy. And like, she's just going to be there to catch the baby. So it doesn't really matter. Like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this. This is about me. It's not about her. So it's fine. But as the pregnancy went on and on and on and on, um, I, uh, found myself at, 41 weeks at 42 weeks Mm. and then Mm -hmm. at 43 weeks and I had this looming sense of just dread like why isn't the baby coming why what's wrong with me I was not dilated at all I was not effaced at all I was keeping that baby in (laughs) Mm. and I know now that my anxiety and my body was just trying to protect myself and my baby because I didn't feel safe with my care provider. And she never once said like, I think you need to go to the hospital. I think you need to transfer care. I was so, I was naive and um, trusted that she would tell me what to do. And so um when my anxiety just would not take it anymore. I was almost 44 weeks pregnant and took myself to the hospital, just me and my husband and my doula and, uh, presented there and, uh, was not treated well, (laughs) as you can maybe imagine, um, that this person that they've never met before. Um, oh, I should mention that I called around the week prior and said, you know, Hey, if I just show up at your hospital, this is who I am. Like, uh, what would y'all do? Oh, you, you don't automatically go into a C-section. Like that's like, we're not even going to try to induce you. you? Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's the, the messaging I got from multiple calling multiple hospitals, both near and far. What was your midwife saying at this time? Um, she was trying to convince me that I wasn't really as far along as I was. Um, but I mean, I knew exactly when I conceived mm-hmm. and, um, really, uh, making me kind of question my gut and that's yeah. not what I needed at that point. Like I, I needed somebody to tell me what was safe and what to mm-hmm. do. And that wasn't, that wasn't happening. So, um, so yeah. And then I'm terrified because I'm calling hospitals and they're telling me that they're going to give me a C-section basically the minute they see me. And that is like totally not what I wanted for this birth. You know, it's not what I wanted for myself or for my baby. 
And um, so that just added to the fear, you know, of, of seeking a second opinion. Um, so we showed up to the hospital and were, were treated pretty poorly by, by the OB there. It was mm-hmm. a Saturday. <laughs> and of course he didn't uh, want to be there on a Saturday. Um, it took a lot of convincing and a lot of tests to even uh, let him let me get an induction. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the while telling me like, it's not going to work and like, you're not favorable and like calling me a problem that he has to fix. Um, just a lot of, yeah, it's, um, you know, the way we talk to moms is so important, right? Mm -hmm. Like the way we talk to them about them. And it's such a vulnerable state. Yes. Um, for somebody to be using that type of language, especially, I mean, already that's, that's language where you're already needing an advocate. You're needing somebody to step up for you or you're needing to step up and defend yourself, but you really can't do that when you're in that laboring state or, or really just thinking about protecting your baby. And that's, mm-hmm. that's very difficult. Yeah. And there, I mean, there were a lot of things that I think he could have done to make this experience so much less traumatic. Um, But that's where a lot of the trauma stems from is just how Mm -hmm. I was treated um, or not treated in by my, by the people who I should have been able to trust the most. Um, So anyway, (laughs) well, there's that expectation. You can trust a professional when you come in and that you're going to receive good, compassionate care. And when you don't receive that, it's pretty shocking. Right. Exactly. Um, and I did have some really great nurses and I also had some really not great nurses while Mm -hmm. I was there, but, um, you know, I did have some nurses that were encouraging, but it still wasn't enough to kind of get over the, um, the overall feel of, of why I was there and the attitude about me being there. Nobody wants to feel like a burden (laughs) when they're coming in to have a baby. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And, um, you know, and this is my first baby. I, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. And um, so, yeah, um, I, they did eventually agree to start an induction and they did serve it all overnight from a Saturday to a Sunday. Um, it did nothing. <laughs> <sighs> it maybe effaced me a little bit, if I remember. This was eight and a half years ago. So it's, it, some of the details get lost with time, but mm-hmm. um really tried to make it what I wanted for my home birth. I had a couple friends there. Um, this was of course all pre COVID. And so I could have whoever I wanted. I had a couple friends there and they were there like that Saturday night. And then they were there again, Sunday morning. Um, they started Pitocin. Um, I labored and walked around. Um, I bounced on the ball. I was checked I was you know did all the things and uh by 5 p.m that day I was one centimeter dilated after having contractions all day Mm -hmm. they never got very strong and they kept upping the pitocin and upping it and it was just never like I think my body was just in such a fight or flight that Mm -hmm. like those hormones were way more 
powerful than any kind of synthetic oxytocin that could be, you know, pumped into me. Well, there's no way you felt um, safe in that environment. I did not, <laughs> not yeah. at all. Um, so yeah, um, we, I say we decided on a C-section, but I mean, really at that point, that was our only option. And, and I knew that, um, but it didn't make it any easier to be at that point when this whole time I wanted something so different for myself mm. and my baby. And um, can I ask a question? Uh, yes, please. You, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, um, but a lot of times other things come out in birth, especially those first time births where you're, you're afraid. Mm -hmm. And there's right. a lot in unknown. Did you have any previous trauma or issues that you felt might've been hindering? You know, um, I've done a lot of thinking and I really, I don't have like an extensive trauma history. Like, mm -hmm. um, I don't have previous sexual trauma or, um, abuse. And so in that way, I feel lucky Good, <laughs> because yeah. that's not the story for a lot of women. However, um, you know, birth is vulnerable. Mm -hmm. uh, pregnancy is vulnerable. Um, I think I tend to more so used to than now, but just be very anxious mm -hmm. and, uh, not have the coping skills to see what, see it for what it was and name it and deal with it. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, yeah. And and the, the unknown can be so scary right. and cause, you know, everyone to be anxious. And, and whenever you don't have people around you who are supporting you in a way that is bringing confidence and safety uh -huh. to you, then it makes perfect sense that, that you would, <laughs> you would not be dealing great in that situation. Yeah. So, uh, we went ahead and got prepped for the C-section and that whole experience was so dehumanizing mm. and detached. Um, you know, I know people just go about their jobs and that's just an everyday, multiple times a day occurrence to them. But, you know, my baby was only born once mm. and I, I can't do that again. I can't do it over. Um, so I, I wish it would have been handled with more, with the reverence that it deserved. Well, and the recognition that, um, moms don't forget those birth experiences yeah. and how you were made to feel and the whole experience and everything that happened and what somebody said or didn't say, all of that is etched into your brain and it's all heightened mm -hmm. at that moment. And yep. you, you might, you know, some details may fade a little bit, but you won't forget it. Mm -mm. Nope. Nope. And, uh, I was, I was awake, um, during the C-section, I had a spinal, I hadn't gotten epidural all day because the contractions really weren't painful. So I did get a spinal. Um, I was awake, but, um, during the C-section, I, I mean, I really had no preparation for what to expect in a C-section, but the spinal works up 
really to like your arms, like to like on the top of your chest. And I could not feel myself breathing. Mm. And that terrified me. I, I was probably screaming, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if not screaming internally screaming that like, I can't breathe. Like I'm, I can't feel myself breathing. Like, um, I had asked that they don't strap down my arms and they agreed. Um, and the, um, the anesthesiologist assistant who is kind of up by your head while all this is happening, he was, I'm going to cry. He was my angel because he, Mm -hmm. he, he just took my hand and laid it on my chest and said, look, feel yourself, you're breathing, you know, you can feel your chest going up and down, like you're okay. And, um, he was also pretty much the only one in the OR that would, uh, update me about what was happening. You know, I had said, I really want to know like what y'all are doing as you do it. Um, please somebody tell me what the baby looks like. And really nobody was responsive to me except Mm -hmm. for him. And he would just tell me, you know, what they were doing with the baby or what the doctor was doing at that moment with me. Um, And I just appreciate his care and his, um, his gentleness so much, even to this day. Um, So yeah, that was kind of a bright spot in this horrible experience that, (laughs) that was happening at the same time. But um, that's so great my that he heard out. you. Yeah. 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 He was great. Um, my son came out and he seemed to be okay. Um, he was definitely extremely overdue. Um, his, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about that, except that it was really apparent that he needed to come out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my initially they, you know, had him over in the incubator and or under the lights and then I got to see him up by my head for a few seconds maybe and I was really probably completely naive to think that he would just get to be on my chest and but I was totally unprepared that they would take him to the NICU Mm. I really did not think that that would happen that did not enter my brain the whole day (laughs) um And so he came with me to the recovery for a little bit, maybe I say a little bit, seconds. Um, And the nurse said, um, okay, mom, kiss your baby. He's going. And then they just, they just took him away. (laughs) And um, I, of course, sent my husband to, um, to be with the baby. Um, And I proceeded for the next two hours to have the highest blood pressure I've ever had in my whole life. Mm. Um, full on panic attack. Um, all while trying to pump for my baby, um, nurses coming in and just, uh, lifting up my bed sheet, talking about my bleeding to each other, but not to me, um, in ways that alarmed me. Like, am I okay? Like, am, is it too much bleeding? And like, just not, the way that you would want to be treated in that situation. Yeah. So from here, the, um, the isolation from my baby and, um, was a huge, 
trauma. Um, so he was born on a Sunday night and I did not get to hold him until probably about 14 hours later. Um, I didn't get to breastfeed him for two days. Um, I was pretty much walking back and forth to the NICU around the clock to see him. And when they would finally let me try to feed him, um, but it was, it was rough. And they were telling me that he probably had a seizure. Um, they didn't know, they didn't tell me why they thought that, I guess, because hmm. he was like smacking his lips or something. And I'm probably like, well, he, yeah, he wanted to nurse. <laughs> um, but they ordered all these tests and just made, made me even more anxious because, and I know now that they were just trying to CYA and you know, do all the tests and things before they let us go. But it was so traumatizing to hear like, okay, well now we're going to go do a CT scan and now we're going to go do this other blood work. And now we're going to go do this. And my baby was just poked and prodded in this, in this bassinet for days. He was there for, he, um, he was there for five days. And then we got to room in one night and then we got to go home. Um, but that separation um, was really hard. And, you know, I think, I think there's a range of experiences when we have a baby, right? Like some people are just immediately bonded to the baby, um, just mama bear from the get go. Some people, it takes a while to warm up to this new person who you've never met before. And, you know, that that protectiveness and that love grows over time. And for me, I think I was so thrust into this situation where I was his only voice that I was beyond mama bear mm. from the very beginning. Um, like I just loved him fiercely so after I finally, uh, they got my blood pressure under control in the, uh, in the healing, the, what's it called? Triage. Yes. After surgery. Um, I begged them to take me to the NICU so I could see him. And, um, the nurse that was steering my bed hit three walls on the way to the NICU. <sighs> And I know she didn't mean to, but like, I just had major surgery and I hurt so mm -hmm. bad. And it was just like more insult to injury, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and this nurse had already been pretty flippant about the whole C-section, like, oh, Dr. And so-and-so does these all the time. And like, you're not even going to have a scar. And I was like, I don't care about scar. Like mm -hmm. this whole experience is not what I wanted. Um, so anyway, um, I did get to see him that night. I'm of course laying in a bed an hour, I don't know, three hours after a C-section, I got to touch his little hand. We hadn't slept in two days and I went to my room and cried alone all night while, um, 
you know, I couldn't sleep. Um, I just wanted my baby. Nobody would tell me what they thought was wrong. Nobody would tell me how he was doing. I didn't get any updates. I, I didn't even know what to ask for, but was your husband in the NICU then? some of the time, but he also hadn't slept for two or three oh, days. Yeah. And so yeah. he, he was able to sleep some, but I was just up crying and, mm. um, trying to sleep, but just really reliving the entire trauma over and over again in my mind that whole night, um, probably trying to process it in some way, but it was not, it was lonely and hard and, um, not something that I would wish on anybody mm-hmm. that separation from their baby in that first, in those first moments, in those first days is just gut wrenching. Um, but he, um, he did well, he, you know, uh, his blood sugar was off, but you know, I hadn't eaten in two days, so that's not a huge mm-hmm. surprise. Um, so they got that regulated. He, once I was allowed to nurse him, he nursed great. And I've nursed, I nursed him longer than any of my other kids. And we nursed for almost two years. And, Yay. Um, re- I know really, um, I loved that bonding experience with him and the way that, um, that it bonded us in, in ways that we couldn't there in the very beginning. Hmm. So yeah, that is my, my birth trauma. And I'm sure there's more (laughs) than I, that, that time is forgetting, but, um, so he did five days in the NICU and then you guys were able to go home. And how did you do a lot of times with an experience like that? I'm thankful you were able to breastfeed so well. How did you do with postpartum depression? Um, Looking back, I know that I had some, what I'll probably call PTSD from the Mm -hmm. whole situation. For sure. Um, But even being a, I mean, at this point I had my master's degree in psychology, right? So I, I know a lot in my head about what might be happening, but even to that point in all of my studies, I had really only ever heard of postpartum depression, not postpartum PTSD, not birth trauma, not postpartum anxiety, mm-hmm. anything like that. And any so type of mood disorders with it, any type of mood disorder mm-hmm. that was, would be associated with having a baby, which is a huge life event. So yep. no surprise that, you know, mood disorders happen around that time frame, Right. Um, and so, no, I did not seek help from a therapist until a year postpartum. And mm. at that point I was having intense flashbacks, um, a lot of trouble separating from him. If he, um, was ever, um, I mean, yeah, just extreme, uh, anxiety around, uh, him being okay around his health around, um, be him being without me Mm -hmm. and, uh, intense flashbacks to the birth and what was said around the birth, Mm -hmm. even, even little comments 
just stuck in my brain for so long afterward. And, um, so yeah, I didn't seek help until a year after. And I, looking back, I would have certainly told, would certainly tell previous me, girl, go to therapy now, (laughs) (laughs) go, go now. (laughs) And, um, it just never seemed like it was quote unquote bad enough to go. And I would say, but, but my baby's here, my baby's fine. It's not like, it's not like my baby died. It's not like my, you know, um, you know, I'm okay. My baby's okay. What do I have to complain about? And and you, you get that messaging too. Don't get me wrong. I got that messaging, um, which does not help the situation at all to hear that your, your trauma isn't valid. Your experience isn't bad enough (laughs) to, to warrant you feeling the way that you feel. But like we've talked about, birth is so freaking vulnerable. Yep. Pregnancy is so vulnerable. And the words we say to moms in that vulnerable state matter so more much. than we even know, more yeah. than we know. And in the postpartum. You have the power. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. Postpartum too. And it's you so have heightened. The power with, you have the power with your words to build a mother up or to tear her down completely. And I think that's kind of the message I want to make sure your listeners hear is that we each have the power to, in our words and in our actions, build up new moms or tear them down. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so important. I Um, often say scripturally, that's, you know, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Yeah, and yeah. It, I mean, it really is. It's so powerful. And that's why we are to be careful with our words. You know, the, mm-hmm. what we say, I mean, even just to a moment in the grocery store that you may not have any relationship with her yep. whatsoever. What you yep. say to her will stick with her. It will matter. Mm-hmm. So whether you're you yep. talk about, oh, what a beautiful, you know, belly she has and excited for her for her new baby, or you proceed to tell her your horror story, um, those right. two things will make a big difference in her life. Yep. It absolutely will. And even how much more so for the people that we are supposed to be able to trust mm-hmm. in that very vulnerable time. Um the yeah it took me a lot of time to forgive that that ob and to forgive my my midwife for the injustices that were done and the wrongs that were that were committed and to forgive myself for not knowing what i know now and that's been that's been a process that has taken many years, but then has also, you know, led me to where I am now in my path that I've taken since then. And so it's not. In your other births, did it come up? Go ahead. In your other births, Um, how did you do with them? Yeah. So I, uh, I don't even know where to start with my other births. I knew, I knew for my next pregnancy and we, and we waited a while. So, um, 
most of my kids, my three youngest have a pretty short age gap, but the age gap between my oldest and my second is, is almost three years. Mm -hmm. So when he was around two, we started trying again. And my, actually my first, um, my first pregnancy after, you know, after starting to try was a miscarriage. Mm. And that's not something that I had really even considered would be a possibility for myself. And so it was very caught off guard, very, uh, let down by my body again. Mm. That was a big theme. I think in my first birth was being very let down by my body. And at one point my OB had even, you know, I kind of asked him afterwards, like what, what happened? Like, why didn't the induction work? Why didn't I ever go into labor? And he, uh, he said that, uh, some, some women like you just have a lazy uterus. That's what he called it. A lazy uterus. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And that stuck with me. That's, Mm -hmm. and I would not describe myself (laughs) as lazy at all. And so that felt like a slap in the face to the work I was trying to do to get this baby here. (laughs) And I carried that with me for a long time. Like, does that mean my uterus is broken? Does that mean like my uterus just doesn't know how to go into labor? Does that mean that I am, is this going to happen again? There were so many unanswered questions and that really kept me from trying again. And then to have this early miscarriage after being so excited that we were, you know, going to have another baby Mm -hmm. was really devastating because I did feel let down again, that my, that my body had let me down again. Um, I did have a lot of, I wouldn't quite call it pain, but just odd sensations and feelings around my scar um, in the years after, I would say really until my second baby was born and kind of some of those adhesions probably, you know, got stretched out some, Mm -hmm. Um, but it was just a constant reminder that I had been through this thing and that my body had failed me is how I felt. Um, so to live in that kind of discomfort day to day was not awesome and was a reminder of the trauma. And I think another point I want to bring up is that when, when women have birth trauma, it's, it's a complicated emotion, right? Because on one hand, for, for those that come out of it with, with a baby, it's their baby's birthday and you have to celebrate this birthday. You feel like the next year and the year after and the year after. Mm -hmm. And it's also the day that your trauma happened. And so there's a lot of big feelings around that and a lot of conflicting feelings around that. And I definitely felt that for the first several years after. And, you know, I still get pretty tender around that time, but it's not in the same way that it once was. But I think it's important to honor our our own experience in that time. And if you need to 
if you feel inclined to have a party for your one-year-old, you know, it's okay to do it on a different day than their actual birthday. It's okay to have that day be a sweet family time or, you know, just a comfort time for yourself instead of um, living up to some sort of unspoken expectation about mm-hmm. birthday celebrations. But that's that's a complicated feeling, right? To have this really joyous occasion what should be joyous also coincide with trauma is uh it's conflicting yeah for sure yeah I I like the idea of just taking some time for yourself and putting it on another day (laughs) you know if you feel like you have to do it right right yeah we actually had um my son's my oldest son uh his first birthday on the day that we came home from the hospital. Mm. So instead of having it on his, and it just kind of happened that that fell on a Saturday or Sunday or whenever we could do it, but that was, that seemed appropriate and that seemed right. And that seemed uh, healthy and like a good boundary <laughs> for sure for, uh, for, for me. Um, but to answer your, to go back to my other births, um, I knew going into my second birth that I did not want another Mm C-section. I called around (laughs) to try to find, I mean, and this is almost six years ago now. So a lot of things have changed for the better in this area. It's still hard to find a, a, a provider sometimes, but we do have more options now than we did back then. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hospital, if and that was where I felt safest with my second going into my second birth, I didn't trust my body enough to try to have a home birth again. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not. I was like, well, I'm never going to go into labor, so I definitely need to have somebody who will see me in the hospital and to induce me. Like I was pretty certain that I would need to be induced, and so. I, before we even tried to conceive, I interviewed a lot of providers and not just in Abilene, um, which most of them said, absolutely not. Anyway, um, the ones that did say, oh, we'll see, you can try, but you need to go into labor on your own by 39 weeks. And I was like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Like just given my history. So uh, went to DFW and, you know, I think I just want to say that I am privileged to be able to do that. And not all women are going to be able to have that kind of access to the care that they want. And that's a shame because, uh, and it is changing. We do have more providers now that will do VBAC, Mm -hmm. but a woman, a woman's choice to a VBAC shouldn't be dependent on where she lives. Yeah. And, um, or the means that she has to get to a provider who will, uh, facilitate what, what she wants. Yeah. I've talked to some that have had to travel who wanted a hospital VBAC and they've had to travel so far to find anybody that will give them the opportunity at all. Yep. I drove to Denton from Abilene. Yep. So three and a half hours and we were fortunate enough that at that point, my in-laws lived in Fort Worth, which is still an hour and a half from Denton with traffic. But, you know, uh, it was in the summer and my husband and I both worked for the schools. And so we just kind of camped out there 
um, the last few weeks. And I, you know, the, the most important thing to me in that pregnancy and that birth was finding a provider that I could trust a hundred percent had no qualms about had no, uh, had no concerns that this, even if it did end in another C-section that he would try everything he could to make it not traumatic (laughs) and to make it what I wanted. And that was, that was everything. That's all I wanted. My standards had gone way down. I (laughs) I didn't have a birth. I didn't have a definitely no epidural. I didn't have, I just wanted not to be traumatized. Honestly, (laughs) that's all I wanted. Did you find that provider? I did. Yay. Uh, Yes. He was amazing. Uh, For those that maybe have heard of the great Dr. Cummings in Denton, he is no longer practicing OB because he's retired. But oh, um, I was going to give everybody a like, resource. Yes, let's go. Yes, I oh. do. I do have other resources. So uh, fun fact, all my four kids have been, um, I've had different provider, providers for. Some of them mm-hmm. have had two or three providers for each pregnancy. <laughs> so oh. um, yes, this doctor was the at the time, like really the VBAC doctor in the state. And he would do VBAC after four and five C-sections. He would, and it's all in the hospital oh, and he amazing. would just be um, so supportive. And I felt so safe and so heard every time I saw him and just built that trust over the course of the pregnancy that when I was getting towards the end and getting nervous that like, I'm not going to go into labor. He and I came up with a plan together that, um, I said, look, I really, I don't want to go over 41 weeks. Like, I don't think I can mentally handle it. And the, the nerves I'm already having are, are getting in the way of my, uh, my, my tranquility in these last, you know, in this, that was, this Mm -hmm. is probably like 40, 40 weeks. Exactly. We're probably having this conversation. And so, uh, he and I came up with a plan together that, uh, I think it was like 40, 40 weeks and six days. I would go in for an induction and, you know, do Pitocin. And if it didn't work, we would just shut off Pitocin and come back in a few days and try it again or go into labor on my, on my own. And awesome. just having that plan just took all the anxiety off of me mm-hmm. because I, I knew I was going to be taken care of. I knew my baby would be here in a timely manner. I, but I also knew that it wasn't going to be some sort of big emergency And that, you know, if it happened like the first time and the Pitocin didn't work, then we could just shut it off and go home. Mm -hmm. And I had heard from probably a handful of women that had been his, you know, in his care at that point that he'd done that for and been true to his word that, hey, this isn't working. We're going to shut it off and you're going to go home and rest for a couple of days. And so I knew it wasn't just idle talk, but that he really would back up that, uh, that care. And lo and behold, 
Um, the Pitocin worked beautifully and I barely needed any at all. <laughs> so I went in that morning for the induction and was zero percent dilated, zero you know, centimeters dilated, um, maybe a little effaced. And so I'm like, oh, great. Same, same story, you know, second verse, here we go. This is not going to go anywhere, but you know, I felt so safe and I felt so heard and it didn't take maybe two hours on the Pitocin and I was already at four centimeters and the contractions were way stronger than any I had experienced on this super high dose of Pitocin with my first. Hmm. Like I'd pretty much maxed out on Pitocin with my first and they were little nothing of contractions. And at this point I'm like doing my swaying and rocking and sitting on the toilet and like working, working through these contractions. And, uh, so then I was like, wow, this, this is happening. Like this is going to happen. And so I think he saw that I just really needed that boost of like, confidence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so he, um, he was like, okay, like, um, think about it, but like, I really think that like, we could break your water and this could like, you know, this could go <laughs> like, you could see a lot of progress. I think that's what he wanted me to see. Like you could see a lot of progress. So I thought about it for a little while. I was like, okay, yeah, like, let's do this. Like we're in it. This is going to happen. And so, um, I let him break my water and then for the next hour, he just sat in the room with me and we listened to, he sat and like took a little like rest in the rocking chair while I was laboring and we listened to worship music and I cried and cried mm -hmm. and just couldn't believe that this was actually happening, that this was working, that my body wasn't broken. And at one point they even turned the Pitocin off completely because my body had taken over with the contractions. Uh, and that was so empowering, you know, like my body is doing this, my body's working. Well, and, you were so supported. How mm -hmm. great to have a provider that was supporting you in the way that you asked him to and yes. encouraging you and trying his best to, you know, just honor your wishes. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it, it really was. I, he is like my, he doesn't even know what an angel he is mm. to so many women, but, um, well, the really thought is. that just occurred to me too, is like, we're so excited about that. And that's so amazing, but that really should be the standard that, that mm -hmm. should be what we mm -hmm. want, you know, that everybody should be up Absolutely. to, and it should be rare that we have somebody who isn't doing that. Right. Right. That you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, and he's also just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Um, so yeah, that uh that birth, yeah. So I did end up getting an epidural because I they turned off the Pitocin and my contractions were so strong and I couldn't relax through them because I had done zero really zero birth prep because I was just like, you know what? I can white knuckle it through this. Like that is not a problem. Mm. If I don't have a C-section, I can do anything. Well, I should have done something to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Um, but you know, I was pretty open to whatever needed to happen. And so while I was probably about five centimeters, I got an epidural, uh, they ended up having to turn the Pitocin on just like a little bit. Like, I think maybe I ended up having like four of Pitocin until I delivered. So like barely any, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it goes up to like 20 something anyway. I don't know. I had like four grain milligram. I don't know how they measure it, but it was not very much and, uh, labored for, I mean, I got the epidural probably at three and I started pushing at seven and he was out by eight. Mm. Um, he did have uh, meconium when they broke my water. And I should say that my first one of course did have meconium too. Um, and so I, that's why I was crying a lot <laughs> during, after he broke my water, I was just like, it's the same thing and he's going to have problems. And, uh, he was just very reassuring, like, no, it's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, of course the NICU team was kind of close by because of the meconium, they checked him out and then he got to come to me, you know, pretty immediately. And I just cried and cried and so happy. Aww. Um, and yeah, that, that is my second birth. Very redeeming. Um, I will say afterward, I was not prepared. I thought, you know, this birth was awesome. It's everything I wanted. I was not prepared for the, uh, level of anxiety and depression I felt after that pregnancy Mm -hmm. and birth. Um, I thought this went so well, how could I be anything but happy? And I was having these, really intense intrusive thoughts which I think is something we don't talk about enough (laughs) that is super common after having a baby and with my first I would have intrusive thoughts but they were all real thoughts that had happened um they were like reliving flashback thoughts Mm -hmm. but these thoughts with my second were like were thoughts like he's not really mine Mm -hmm. I would have that thought a lot he's not really mine and it was interesting because I didn't bond with him immediately like I did with my first. And you would think that this baby that got put on my chest almost immediately that, you know, I have didn't get, he did have to spend a little bit of time in the NICU because of his blood sugar, but was not separated for very long at all. You'd think that I'd have more of a easy bond, but it was the opposite. So, um, so yeah, I guess uh, just to say that uh, you never know what you're going to get after after birth, and uh, it's I'm a pretty big advocate now for people just being prepared of the signs of PMADs, so perinatal sure. mood and anxiety disorders, before they go into birth and postpartum, so that they know what to look for. Um, yeah, it's not a respecter yeah. of persons either. You don't have to have a traumatic right. birth in order for you yeah. then to have some type of yes. perinatal mood disorder afterwards. Yeah. That it's not a qualification. Exactly. Nope. Nope. Not at all. And um, you know, having a tough birth or tough pregnancy can put you more at risk, but there it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't. And uh so I finally got the courage to, you know, try to find some support in the, I was already seeing a therapist, but in the form of, you know, some medication Mm -hmm. and I just, um, 
had a really, I think I had to go to four different doctors before anyone would prescribe me something even as benign as Zoloft because I was breastfeeding mm-hmm. and it felt, it felt very much like they didn't care about me. They cared about the baby. And even though I knew that Zoloft is well-researched to be plenty safe in breastfeeding. And so I, I'm a pretty big advocate now that like there, there are doctors and prescribers out there that know the truth and know the, the ins and outs of prescribing what is safe and what is not during the postpartum period. And, um, part of the advocacy I do now is as a postpartum support international volunteer. And I try to link people to, uh, prescribers and therapists that have expertise in this area so that they're not met with the same kind of, uh, resistance that I was because, you know, when we deny care to these moms, tragedy can happen, Mm -hmm. can and does. And so we, we as a community need to rally around postpartum moms in, in a way that we are just woefully not doing right now. I've seen it blown off so many times too. And, and, you know, when moms try to speak up just a little bit, it's hard for them to speak up anyways, but when they try to speak Mm -hmm. up just a little bit and they're really brushed aside, it just makes me so sad and it's just heartbreaking that we're not taking better care of our postpartum moms. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So that, I think that experience really propelled me into trying to learn more about PMADS and about the changes that happen um, in our bodies and in our brains after we have a baby that, um, that there are real tangible things that you can do to, to seek wellness in yourself after, after birth. And, um, it it shouldn't require the amount of advocacy that we have to do, but that's where we're at. But, um, you know, it is important to advocate for yourself after that time. If you do find yourself feeling not like yourself, um, very similarly, and I know we're probably, you probably don't want to hear the details of every single birth, but (laughs) Um, I will talk a little bit about my third because uh, his was also a hospital birth, but I had found a nurse midwife and uh, OB team in Cleburne. And they, as far as I know, are still practicing. And I highly recommend them, Dr. Glover and Jen Juve in, uh, in Denton, or not in Denton, in Cleburne. So I again drove um, this time, just two hours, not, not three and a half hours. Um, and this time I actually went into labor on my own. Yay. That's awesome. The day, the day before my due date, I went into labor on my own and that was so validating. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. My body can do this. It knows what it's doing. Uh, ended up, uh, they have for anybody who wants an, an in-hospital birth, I really cannot recommend Cleburne enough. Um, they have birth tubs. So I labored in the birth tub from six centimeters till basically I got out there. He again had meconium. So they had me get out of the tub and within eight minutes of getting out the tub, he was born. So, uh, (laughs) and the, 
the OB uh, got dead. Like, so I was kind of up on the bed on my knees. The OB is on the floor delivering the baby. And if you've been in hospitals, OBs don't normally do that, right? <laughs> they make the mom accommodate them. Mm-hmm. No, he was like gonna just be there and help me deliver the baby however I needed to. And he oh. was amazing. I love um, it. He just happened to be on call the weekend that I went into labor and it was beautiful. And uh, my water broke on its own. And yeah, that was easy and wonderful. And yet again, afterward, I had pretty significant postpartum anxiety and intrusive thoughts. Mm. And um, this time the intrusive thoughts were, were so horrific that I mean, I don't know if your listeners even want to know the details, but just suffice to say that you can have really disturbing and violent intrusive thoughts. And I'll say this about intrusive thoughts, thoughts are thoughts and they're not reality. Yeah. And we, I didn't seek help when maybe I, when definitely I should have for fear that somebody's going to hear me say these thoughts out loud and think that I'm going to hurt my baby. When Haley, do you mind? Can, do you yes, mind please. sharing some of them out loud? Cause I feel like it's yeah. so taboo. Like we don't talk about yeah. it. And so they don't even know. I've talked to others. They're like, well, what do you mean intrusive? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what does that mm-hmm. really look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, after my second, I would have these thoughts like, uh, you know, he's not really mine. Or I would get this flash of like him being left in the hot car. He was born in July. And um, so kind of situations that, you know, like the car, like that could happen. Right. And so you're like hyper aware of this new little thing that depends on you for everything. But then after my third, I would have thoughts about um, intrusive thoughts are such odd things. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can explain this a little bit better. So there is a little, little talked about uh, peripartum mood disorder called uh, postpartum OCD. And a key feature of OCD in the postpartum period is these intrusive thoughts. They are thoughts that you don't, that don't come on by your own will that um, you are, and the key feature of them is that you are horrified by them or you are disturbed by them. They go against what your brain knows is to be true. And I I think a key distinction I want to make is that we hear some of these thoughts out loud and immediately people who aren't as informed go to psychosis, which we Mm -hmm. know is a real thing and we know is an emergency, right? And certainly at that point, mom and baby need to be um, treated immediately and mom doesn't need to have access alone to the baby. And it, it is a true emergency, but the key distinguishing feature clinically is that moms who have intrusive thoughts know that they would never hurt their baby. Mm -hmm. They know that they are going to do anything they can to avoid this intrusive thought actually happening. Moms who are, are teetering on psychosis think that these thoughts could be rational. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I, I, I could see how that would be true, but 
the mom with extreme uh, anxiety, intrusive thoughts, OCD is the mom that is, uh, is, and it's so common. Every time I talk about my intrusive thoughts and I'm open about it, I, I get another mom that says, oh, that happened to me, but I didn't tell anybody because I yeah. knew that they would think I was crazy. Um, another thing about OCD is that you feel, I hear a lot of moms say, I think I'm going crazy. Well, the person in psychosis does not think they're going crazy. Um, you know, most of the time they, they think they're rational though. It's those around them that see that they're different. Right. So I just kind of want to give that like explainer <laughs> before I go into, um, because I think these intrusive thoughts are so common and so not talked about, but in particular, my intrusive thoughts after my third involved, um, like putting him in the oven or the microwave or him falling onto like a hot, uh, like barbecue or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I, as I've been doing this work for a number of years now, I see themes in intrusive thoughts. So, uh, fear around water is a big, uh, intrusive thought that people have. I've heard from moms that won't go near, that won't bathe the baby in a bathtub. Like they'll do sponge baths that won't, uh, take their babies near lakes or any body of water. Um, another theme that I've heard come up again and again is, is like the, uh, fireplace, uh, oven, microwave heat sources. Mm -hmm. And another one is, uh, oh, I had it and I lost it, but suffice to say there are certain themes of oh, dropping the baby that, that comes up a lot. Um, accidents, accidents, right. Um, yeah. or forgetting the baby. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this the other day and processing, um, kind of what these themes mean, um, with my supervisor actually. And I was like, you know, it's like kind of this heat theme is kind of like, it's like the hearth of your home and you have this baby who is so near and dear to your heart. And like, you want it to be like, you want it in this warm place. And she was like, it's kind of like being in a womb again. I was like, Whoa, blow my mind. Like mm. that is you. Yeah. Like, is your mind trying to connect this thought that like, you want the baby to be back in this place where, of protection mm -hmm. and of warmth and not out in this scary world. And that just blew my mind because I think that's true. And studies have actually linked these intrusive thoughts to an excess of oxytocin, which again, blows my mind because yeah. it would make sense that if we have an increase of oxytocin, we're like over, over caregiving, over mothering, over concern, mm -hmm. um, and that our minds would constantly be on guard to, uh, to try to make sense of that <laughs> and to try to look for every single possible, uh, scenario that, that could be of harm. Um, so that's what I'll say about that. And, uh, if you have experienced any kind of intrusive thought, any kind of, uh, harm coming to your baby or you doing harm to your baby and you're horrified by that, just know that you're not alone. It is so mm -hmm. common. Something like 80% of parents endorse that they have had intrusive thoughts after the birth, 
but we never talk about it because we are so afraid of, and and legitimately so, unfortunately, of um, providers overreacting and not taking the time to get to the bottom of what's happening. Um, So yeah, I don't know if you have any questions about that. Yeah, well, I just, from what you just said, I just, I've thought about that. It's either one, it's always an extreme. It's either an overreaction Mm -hmm. or it's a brush it off Mm -hmm. and it's nothing. And I just, Mm -hmm. I really want to see us doing better like mamas deserve yeah. better that we are really mm-hmm. taking this seriously and understand it more that we're, I know we're learning still, but there's a lot of information mm-hmm. out there. And if you take the time to learn and these, these practitioners yes. should take the time to learn instead of just going off of mm-hmm. a checklist that they're supposed to give moms yeah. at their six week appointment. Right. right. Well, and I, and I, I'll say something about those checklists. Those do not at all encompass the breadth of experience of Mm -hmm. a postpartum mom, you know, it's woefully inadequate. It's horribly inaccurate at seeing and, and it's done at what, maybe after the birth in six weeks, like a lot of moms don't have issues come up until well after that. And Um, they know easily reading it. Oh, I'm, I better answer these correctly. I mean, come on. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I find too, a lot of times moms with intrusive thoughts will kind of test the waters and say like, well, I'm having worries about like the baby, like dropping the baby when I'm walking down the stairs and the provider will go, oh, oh, it's fine. Like, no, you're going to be, no, you know, that's just a worry. It's okay. When really you should be asking like, okay, then what, then, then what do you do? If you ask these follow-up questions, these moms are completely avoiding going upstairs for weeks at a time, Mm -hmm. or they are, uh, scooting down the steps on their butt. Every time they go down the stairs, like extreme behaviors to make their anxiety less (laughs) around whatever intrusive thought they're having for myself. I wouldn't go near the kitchen because I did not want to think about my child in the oven. And so I would avoid the kitchen at all costs Mm -hmm. and it interferes with your life. But I certainly wasn't going to tell that to anybody. Um, And when I finally did reach out for help, it was, uh, I did not tell them the whole story. I knew at that point what was going on and I knew that it probably wouldn't, uh, be in my interest to tell the whole story to a prescriber, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate, right? Like we should yeah. be able to trust these, these providers and prescribers with, um, with what's really going on. But at this point I had been in the postpartum, you know, uh, world and learning about this for quite a while and, uh, could see for myself and in myself what was happening. And just that alone, knowing what's going on with yourself is so huge and having a name for what you're experiencing and knowing that you're not alone. And, um, I am happy to say that, uh, I did find a prescriber after that pregnancy that, um, you know, gave me a serious and, uh, substantial dose of a, uh, of a medication that, uh, that helped. And within two or three weeks of being on that medication, the intrusive thoughts all but went away. Oh, um, awesome. and really that is 
for a mom going through that, that is everything. Um, and I made the decision for my fourth to stay on that medication on, it was Zoloft through that pregnancy and postpartum. And with the, um, yeah, with just uh, the support of finally somebody who would be willing to monitor that and understand that that was the best choice for me and my baby um, and support that. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be different for everyone. But for myself, that was the wisest choice that I could make. Um, and I guess the only thing that I'll say about my fourth baby um, born almost two years ago now mm-hmm. is that, um, I actually, uh, it kind of came full circle and I had him at home and look at you. that, <laughs> I, <laughs> what'd you say? I said, look at you. You finally got your <laughs> home birth. Yeah. And, um, it was, it was nothing like what I thought it would be, but everything that I needed it to be. Um, so something that I didn't mention before is that, um, I had a wonderful, loving, supportive doula through my first three births. And yes, she drove from Abilene to my births to be there with me. Um, you know, when I traveled for my second and third births and then she was my midwife for my fourth, by then she had her midwifery license. And so she was my midwife for my fourth child. And I, that relationship has meant so much to me. Mm -hmm. And so the, what, the one thing I will say about my fourth birth is that the labor did not go at all. Like I thought it would go, like, I really had zero pain in labor with my third and it was all natural, never got an epidural, um, labored in the water, uh, did hypno babies and was just like, chill. Um, I experienced a lot of, uh, not being able to like, kind of get in my groove a lot of every time I'd get in the water, the contractions would just space out, which was so frustrating. Um, I'd have to be like up upright to put pressure and like dilate, but I really like that felt horrible and just like, it was painful. Um, he ended up being a whole pound bigger than my others. My others were all right around eight pounds. And my fourth was nine pounds, six ounces. And so maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe. But um, when, yeah, um, when he was born, he had shoulder dystocia, which um, for those that aren't maybe aware, like it, it is an urgent situation. And I knew what was happening in the moment. Of course, my midwife knew what was happening in the moment. In any other scenario where I didn't trust my provider completely, I would have been freaking out. But because I trusted her so much and because I knew that she knew what to do, I I was not traumatized by that. Was it a little scary? Yeah, it was a little scary. Um, You know, he took two or three minutes to get out of that, but I I was not traumatized. And- then hearing from people afterward, like, oh, if you were in the hospital, we would have, we would have held him in and gone and done a C-section. Well, oh my word, like talk about trauma. Like this was, no, this was not that at all. And he, he, 
he's okay. <laughs> and my midwife knew what to do and what to tell me to do to get him here safely. And so I think the biggest takeaway that I've had, one of the big takeaways from my birth is that trust in your care provider is so important. Um, and that relationship is so important to your well-being. And an emergency can arise, but if you trust those around you, it it can be the difference between it being a trauma or it being a just something that happened. Just a, yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So now what are you doing? <laughs> well, now I have a psychology clinic here in Abilene. I see pregnant, postpartum, and loss moms and parents for therapy. And I also am continuing with my background in school psychology. And I see children for psychological assessment, mainly autism and ADHD and learning issues. Um, I do some social skills groups with kids. And yeah, so I'm just, um, I love that I can integrate my work with moms into my work with kids and really uh it's all connected right it's all family what we do for moms matters in how they engage their kids in how they parent in their own children's attachment and i love being able to integrate that whole experience with the whole family into my practice now that's awesome what a great resource for us in the area Thank you. Yeah, my my clinic is called Grounded Roots Family Development Center. Um, I'm on Facebook and on Instagram. I hold a weekly postpartum support group um, that is just a peer support group. So it's not a therapeutic group, but it's just a chance for moms to get together and chat about whatever we need to talk about. Um, So that group is Abilene Postpartum Support Community on Facebook. And I tend to post the updates about groups and whatnot, uh, through that, through that, uh, Facebook group. Great. And we'll make sure in the show notes, we'll have links, um, to every way that people can contact you and check you out. Are you on Instagram as well? I am. Yeah. We'll, We'll put a link to all of that. And, um, so, so others can contact you because like we've said many times before, it is, such a needed field in our area. We have so many postpartum moms who are just going Mm -hmm. by the wayside and struggling so much. And if you can make a difference in just one of their lives, then that will be amazing. I'll just be so thankful. But I know that you're going to be speaking into so many um, mama's lives and helping them and the whole family. And I just think that's just such a such an amazing opportunity that you have grasped there and that, that you're, you're putting your personal experience and all your skills as a provider to use for the community. And I just want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. And one other resource I'd want to mention is postpartum.net. And that is the um, postpartum support international Mm -hmm. website. They have daily online support groups. They have peer support. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but they will match you with a peer support person to find you resources, to walk alongside you in your postpartum journey. 
Um, this is a great resource maybe for moms who are really rural or um, for whatever reason, don't feel like therapy is a good fit. Um, these mm -hmm. postpartum groups meet virtually. Literally, there's a group going every single day of the week. Mm. And they have just a ton of information about providers, um, about prescribers. Anybody who has specialized training in postpartum will be on that website and you can find them there. So that is just an awesome resource. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've referred uh, people to there many times before. Um, mm -hmm. so, and it, it's a great, you know, immediate resource that you can get to. And then now we have a local resource as well in you. And I think that that's just wonderful that we're, we're gaining, we're gaining more resources and, yes. um, able to help more and more moms and, and that's just a step in the right direction. So I'm real yeah. thankful for that. And, and that's exactly, it, that's exactly where, what this is like, we, we are making steps in the right direction, but we still have a long way to go. We do. We do. But we'll continue making those steps and continue bringing okay. awareness and continue having the conversations that may be a little difficult. Um, but just continue to be open and honest um, with each other. And remember that our words matter. Thank you for listening. May you be encouraged and strengthened by what you've heard today. Remember, you are dearly loved by your creator. So be who he created you to be. May you go in peace, friends. Till next time, shalom.